you'd like to stand for this last song.
cannot even express how much you mean to us, Lord. And as we turn to your word, we ask that your spirit would continue to strive with us, Lord, and give us give us knowledge and wisdom for what we hear today, Lord. Let it just breathe inside of us your living word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. Yesterday I looked at the weather and I predicted that nobody would show up today. So I'm glad I'm wrong. Uh, I'm Associate Pastor Scott Spencer. Uh, Mike is out of town for a few days and so I'll be filling in for him. Uh, and I'm going to be starting the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, but I doubt we'll cover everything today. So it's just, uh, just a getting start, uh, a head start. And, um, you know, if you want to read ahead, read the chapter or read the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a, it's a fabulous book. Um, there's a whole lot in there and, uh, and it will bless you for sure. So beginning with chapter one, verse one, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the, the dispensation of the fullness of time, uh, times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. In him also we have obtained the inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who are first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life to us. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We, we praise you. Uh, you are our king. We honor you. We ask for your presence. We ask for your blessing today. In Jesus' name we ask it. So Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. The apostle Paul wrote the Ephesians, and he begins Ephesians by talking about the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people object to that term, Trinity. They say Trinity is not in the Bible, and that's actually true. Uh, Trinity is something that we use to refer to the three, the three aspects of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that's a little bit difficult to understand because we are, we know we're people and, uh, you know, we're like, uh, there can't be really two, two with one, really, and three's way too much. So it's a difficult concept to understand that those three aspects of God are separate beings but they're all a part of God. They're all a part of the essence of God. When Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was not present with people until that time. The Holy Spirit was something that Jesus, it was a gift. It was a gift that Jesus gave. In fact, uh, in, in one place, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit as a down payment. It's a down payment towards what we will have when we leave this world and we are with Christ, it's a little bit of God, a little bit of Christ that resides right here within us. So the Lord Jesus, God, his presence is here inside you all the time. So the next thing, you, the next time you're thinking of doing something and, and you're like, no, you really shouldn't do that. Just think God's not just watching. He's here. He's here with you. And that little thing that you, that's telling you inside, don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, people sometimes refer to that as their conscience. That's not their conscience. I'm not sure people really have a conscience, but we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells us what to do or what not to do. So he begins talking about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is the one who brought that church in Ephesus into being. So the first chapter tells us about the Father's work gathering people together to become sons and daughters through the work of Christ. You know, it was God's intention before the foundation of the world that all would be saved. Uh, I, I always get, you know, I always kind of stumble on the word that's used there, predestination because there are so many connotations attached to 
predestination. When you see that word, when you see that word that God predestined, you got to think about who, who did he predestine? There are some people who say some people were predestined to be saved and some people were predestined to go to hell. That doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't. What this says here is that God predestined that all would be saved. God's intention was that everyone in the entire world for all time would be saved. We have to keep in mind that's God's intention. So the ball's in your court. The ball's in your court. What are you going to do about it? God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be a part of his family. God wants you to be his sons and daughters. Do you understand? Think for a moment. Do you understand what it means to have an inheritance from God? An inheritance. We're not talking about the rich uncle that you really don't know about. You know, that might be great. You might inherit a couple million dollars. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God. You have an inheritance from God, but the ball's in your court. What are you going to do? You're going to make him Lord? You're going to make Jesus Lord? You're going to live your life for him? Because that's up to you. That's your choice. We always have free will thrown in there. You can decide. God's not going to force anybody to be a part of his family if they don't want to be. And you know, there are some people who actually say that. They will actually say, I don't want any part of God. I don't believe him. And, uh, and I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And that's their attitude. And so God says, okay, you know, it, it's up to you. God doesn't give up as long as they're alive. You know, I don't believe that. I believe God's always trying to prompt people to submit themselves to him. Uh, there was a time when I served as a, hop, a hospice chaplain. What a hospice chaplain does is... Uh, we would go and we would take care of the spiritual needs of that person who is terminal. So we know they're going to die. They know they're going to die. And usually it's a few months, sometimes less, sometimes more. But I, I saw it as my main job was to make sure that I made the offer to them. Are you saved? Are you comfortable with facing God? You're going to be facing God possibly in a few days. A few months at most. How do you feel about that? You know, there's a lot of people who don't even have the opportunity to uh, contemplate that kind of a thing. Because we don't know. You know what? Some of you, or maybe me, on our way home from this church service... We're going to have an accident and we're going to meet God. That is a very distinct possibility, especially with the way traffic is in Twin Falls now. Um, We need to always be aware that our life on this earth is short. And, uh, you know, I don't know about all of you who are listening, but uh, for me, when I was 20, I was bulletproof. There was nothing I could do that I couldn't survive. Now, now that I'm, you know, older, um, I'm, I'm a little beat up. You know, I have metal in one leg. Um, actually, I have metal in both knees. Last year, I tore both quadricep tendons. Um, last week, I tore my bicep tendon. I'm starting to realize I'm not bulletproof. I'm starting to realize that my body is not what it was when I was 20. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly dying is what's happening. Does that sound weird? Our bodies are falling apart. That's how we're designed. We're not designed to live forever. And, uh, and, and whenever something like that happens, I hope it reminds us, you know, Let's check in. Where are we with God? Are we good with God? You know, it should be a daily thing. You should be checking in with the Holy Spirit. You should be saying something like, you know, 
not exactly, but in your own words, should be saying like, Lord, I'm going to go out in my workplace today and I would like to be able to do something to serve you. And if you prompt me to say or do something, I will do that. And just have that awareness that God might decide to use you in a day. He might, God might prompt you to say, you know, that money that you put in your pocket this morning, that's not yours. That belongs to this person right here. And you just give it to them. Or it might be uh, that you talk to somebody and you say, uh, how are you doing? Tell me, tell me what's going on in your life. And you spend 15 minutes with them talking. And maybe you just give them a little bit of encouragement. You know, God uses this a lot of times in that way. But just that awareness that God is using you the moment you become a Christian. And you might say, wow, I don't know anything. I'm a baby Christian and I really don't know anything. It doesn't matter because it's not you who is putting the words together. It's the Holy Spirit. You just have to say the words, whatever they are, and trust that the Holy Spirit knows more than you do. And that's not hard. It's that trust thing. So um, it's God's intention before the foundation of the world that everyone would be saved. And so Ephesians tells about the work of Jesus, of redeeming people by his death on the cross and giving them forgiveness of sins. And then it talks about the Spirit's work, drawing people together and sealing God's people in a guarantee, a guarantee of their ultimate deliverance from sin. Think about that for a moment. You not only have an inheritance from God, you have a guarantee, a guarantee that when you face God, you're not going to face him at the throne of judgment. You won't be there. Jesus is going to say, this one's mine. This one's mine. You won't be at the throne of judgment. And that's a good thing. You know why that's a good thing? Because none of us really get it together in this life. We're all working towards being Christ-like, right? And I would venture to say last week, I would have to say that there were times when I was not Christ-like. I'm very sorry about that. But I'm not Christ-like all the time. There are times when I fall flat on my face. You know, and I I get up and I walk away and I, way to go, Pastor Scott. You really praised God then, you know. But that's how we are. But there's forgiveness for that. We have forgiveness for that through Jesus Christ. And when we face God, when we go to the other side, all of those things are going to be forgiven. Uh, The Bible says they will be thrown in the bottom of the sea, never to be seen. Thank God for that. Because we, we never really quite get there, I don't think. I don't think we quite get there until that moment that split second moment when our soul leaves our body and then arrives in the presence of God. And in that nanosecond or whatever, the change happens. God makes the change. And we are what God intended us to be. We are. Right now, we're broken broken people. Right now, uh, we live in a sinful world. Our body is affected by that sin. And that's why we have injuries and, and illnesses and uh, things like that is because we're all affected in a world that is plagued by sin. And we need God's forgiveness. We need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to overcome that. So the church begins with God's work. Well, the church begins with God and his work and ends with God's glory. And then in the next chapter, which we're not going to really get to, but the next chapter looks at the formation of the church from the viewpoint of someone who was dead in transgressions and sin, and they have been made spiritually alive by God. That's a miracle, isn't it? 
when we're talking about dead, talking about being dead in sin, you know, you think about Jesus Christ dying on the cross and the Romans were expert executioners. They were the experts at it. And when somebody went up on a cross, no one came down alive. They were dead. When, a Roman, when the Romans executed somebody, there is not a chance that they were alive. There's always people who are wanting to say, oh, well, Jesus wasn't really dead. You know, he passed out. Right? Or, or maybe he was like in a coma and, and he came back, came back alive. And then somehow after, after he'd been beaten up and hung on a cross and stabbed, uh, he managed to roll this 30-ton rock out of, the, out of the way so he could get out of the cave. Yeah, I believe that. That's actually believable, isn't it? It's, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. And when you start with knowing that nobody ever came down from the cross alive, that the Romans executed, when you start with that, you know Jesus was dead. But he raised himself. Jesus raised himself. The power of God, he raised himself. And so when you, when you consider that, and then you say, okay, this person is dead. They're dead in sin. This person is a... This person is, is the worst sinner that I've ever known. And so is there any hope for him? And you've got to say, yes, there is. There is hope for him. Because Jesus raised from the dead. And God can raise this person too. There is hope for them. You know, there's sometimes that... Uh, we come into a lot of contact with people either in person or by phone or whatever. They call the radio station and they want to talk to somebody and usually that ends up being me. And, and I, I've listened to some amazing stories over the last few years. It's like it doesn't get any better than that. You know, people calling up and, and they're, but they're afraid. They're afraid to face God. Talked to a 90-year-old man the other day, and he is, I could hear the fear in his voice. He's telling me all this stuff he's done. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You had a full life, didn't you? Had a full life. Is there any hope for that guy? Yeah, there is. The fact that he called, and he has concern, and he wants help, absolutely. There is hope. There's always hope. Why is there hope? Because God brings life. God brings life to dead people. God brings life to people who otherwise would have no hope. And as long as you're alive, something can be done about that. First of all, you need to ask forgiveness for what you've done. And then the instance of this guy who called, I I told him, I said, you need to make a list because it's pages long. You know, these are all the people you need to ask forgiveness from one by one. Ask God for forgiveness. You probably need to go to these people and ask forgiveness in person. You're going to be busy the next few years and pray you don't die before you're done. But that's, 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 how, that's how you do that. And, and after you do that, you can feel the weight lift off of you. You can feel it because God will forgive you. God will forgive you of anything if there's repentance. Now, if you're going to ask forgiveness for something and then you turn right around and go right at it again, whatever it is, that's not repentance. Repentance is when you stop. You stop doing the stuff that God's telling you not to do and you turn and you head in a different direction, doing something different. And God honors that. God honors that. Not only are you going to feel better just simply from the weight of sin, but you're going to feel that approval from God. He's going to say, way to go. And you're going to feel that. God gives us little rewards like that for, for obedience. You know, if God prompts you to give somebody 20 bucks, uh, you're going to feel something in your heart from that. 
Now, I don't advocate getting, giving everybody money because there are some people who you give money, they're going to go buy drugs with it. You know, you might, if you feel moved to help that person, buy them a hamburger or help them out in, in some other way. So I don't always advocate giving people money, but there are times when, um, when I felt that, you know, whatever you have in your pocket, I don't even count it. Whatever's there. And God honors that. He honors that act of obedience. So it's interesting, interesting little factoid about Ephesians is that there are, there are three earlier manuscripts than the one that was used to be translated into the Bible. And they do not have the word, or they don't have the name Ephesus in it. Some of the letters that Paul wrote were intended to be passed along from one church to the other. So they would share them. And probably Ephesians is like that. It was probably a letter, not just to the church in Ephesians or in Ephesus, but it it was also to be shared for other churches. So that's just a little interesting thing. So Ephesians 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, say, "Paul, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, it's interesting that even though Ephesians is so full of, 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 of uh, doctrine, in fact, there are 27 distinct different doctrines in Ephesians, everything from God the Father, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the will of God, Uh, the world and creation, the unseen world, angels, evil powers, and the devil, and the church, and the communion of the saints, the sacraments, and the Christian ministry. All of those things are in Ephesians. But you know what? There's nothing new in Ephesians. Ephesians doesn't have anything new in it. It's It's all the doctrine of God. It's all in other places as well. And that's great. You know why? Because it gives you confirmation that what's there is correct, is true. You know, the best measure of whether or not uh, something you read in the Bible is correct is to measure it by some other part of the Bible. You never want to pull a verse out and just let it stand alone and float out here and build a doctrine on it. That's called proof texting. Don't do that. That's not how it's done. If the Bible is teaching something about a particular subject, you're going to read about it in multiple places. You need to find out the context and bring all of those together, and then you have something valid. And that's what we have in Ephesians. Ephesians backs up what we read in other parts of the Bible and vice versa. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's helpful and it uh, should be comforting to know that what we read in Ephesians is correct biblical doctrine. So Ephesians presents the basics of Christianity. Um, in Ephesians, we're told who we are, how we came to be who we are, and what we should be and what we are now as Christians. And hopefully when I'm done, uh, you know, I only get to speak to you whenever Pastor Mike is gone. So sometimes it might take me a year or two to get through the book of Ephesians. But if you ever want to go back and try to put the pieces together, they're all online on the riverchristianfellowship.com website. They're all online, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, I've, I've looked at a few of them and they're excruciating. I don't want to watch myself. So I don't look at them very often but they're all there. Church of Ephesus. So we know that this letter was addressed to the church in Ephesus, um, but it very well may have been written to other churches as well. Um, We know that that Paul in his travels in Acts, that he spent about two years in Ephesus, and, uh, and, and Ephesians was written from a Roman prison. Um, it means that, that the letter was written after his extended mission to the city. So he'd been in that city for a long period of time. 
And then later he ended up in prison. And so he's, he's writing to this church that he established before. And, um, you know, they had, uh, back in that day, they had a very uh, traditional way of writing. Uh, every letter began the, the same way. And if you look at Paul's letters, you can see that reflected in there. You know, he, he gives a little greeting and he says something personal. And uh, it's, so it's interesting that Ephesians doesn't have that. And it probably doesn't have that because it wasn't written just to the Ephesians. It was written to some other churches as well. And so that part of that is missing. Um, sometimes, sometimes if you do a little research online, you'll come across something and they say, wow, that's not an authentic writing because it doesn't reflect Paul's style of writing or, or whoever it is. And, um, you know, ignore it. That's my point. Ignore those things. So the idea of it being a circular, circular letter explains some of those things. Um, but we know, we know that Paul wrote it. So a uh, little bit of background on Ephesians or Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital of proconsular Asia, and it was a political and a commercial hub. It was a center of trade. This was a, a thriving city. This was a city that had wealth. They were not poor people. This was a city that was busy, lots of activity going on. People traveling from distances away, buying and selling and importing and exporting. Greeks, Romans, Jews, and Gentiles, they all interacted together. They all came together. Um, Ephesus had the largest Greek open theater in, 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 I believe, in existence, it held 25,000 people. That's big, isn't it? Um, I was down in the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas a few months ago. I don't know how many people fit in there, but that was huge. It was the biggest building I've probably, I mean, you know, one single open room I've ever been in. Um, but this, this is pretty big too. This is huge. When you think about what they built, it's, it's amazing. Um, but uh, Ephesus' main claim to fame, and the one that's probably most relevant to us reading Ephesians, is that there was a temple to Diana or Artemis, and it was so massive, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It measured uh, 425 by 220 by 60 feet. It's about four times the size of the Parthenon. And inside this temple was a statue of Diana, who they believed came down from heaven. Uh, That temple contained immense amounts of treasure to the point that it was, in effect, the Bank of Asia. And uh, that temple was served by hundreds of of prostitute priestesses who served Diana. And that was their mode of worship. That was their, their, their way of worship. So that's, that's the environment that Paul walks into and he's wanting to plant a Christian church. So the pagan traditions were strong. The pagan traditions were almost overpowering. But Paul walks into this you know, and, and I, I don't know what Paul looked like, of course. Um, we don't have any pictures of Paul. Nothing online that I could find, you know. Um, but I can imagine what Paul looked like. And, and I imagine, knowing that he'd been beaten so many times, that he'd been shipwrecked so many times, that he had walked all over the known world at the time and was essentially homeless most of the time, I can imagine what he looked like. He probably looked like a beaten up little old man at that point in time. And so he's walking into Ephesus and he's intending to plant a church there. And that's the environment that he walks into. Um, he, and he planted, he planted that church there. So Paul identifies his readers there as the saints of Ephesus. He calls them the faithful of Jesus Christ. This is important because it tells us 
who we are in Christ. There's three definitions of believers that you need to consider to understand who you are in Christ. First one is, did you know that all Christians are saints? You're a saint. We don't usually refer to each other as saints, do we? You don't refer to me as a saint because you know me. (laughs) And you're saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not possible. But it is possible. It's possible. I'm going to tell you why. So you're a saint, and and I don't want any of you to fall off your chair in shock and disbelief over this, but the biblical meaning of the word saint is different than what we think of it is. What secular society even thinks that it is. Um, In the Roman Catholic Church, a saint is somebody who is particularly holy, and they're exalted into sainthood by this ecclesiastical group of, of, of men who are deciding this. They actually hold a trial. They have a trial where, where there's an advocate. They defend the virtue of the nominee for sainthood. And then there's another one they call the devil's advocate. And he, he prosecutes against sainthood. For that person. So they actually hold a trial for that. And then if that person, if it can be proven that that, that person who's elevated, uh, potentially elevated to sainthood, if they performed a miracle, because that's part of the qualifications, you have to have performed a miracle, and then, and then you pass everything else, then you're elevated to sainthood. That's not even close to a biblical definition of saint. The biblical definition of a saint is that you are set apart for God's work. You're set apart. When you become a Christian, you are set apart from the world, separated from the world, and God is going to use you for his work, for his will, from now on. That's what a saint is. And that's what you are. And you may say, you know what, I just became a Christian last week and I don't know anything. Great. That's great. That means you're probably going to do what God tells you to do because you don't have all kinds of preconceived notions. It's great if you become a Christian and you've never been a Christian before because you're not bringing a whole bunch of baggage from some other belief system that you have to to unlearn. That's awesome. You're like a blank slate. God can use that. Just a matter of you being willing to say, okay, God, not your will or not my will, but your will be done. And what is that? What is that, God? Tell me. You know, everything we need to know about being a Christian is contained right here in this book. We don't need other books. It's all right there. But then beyond that, in your daily walk with the Lord, your daily walk, because you know what? God's all about people. God doesn't care about things. He doesn't care about things. But God cares deeply about people because they're souls. They're souls. And he uses us as his hands and feet to get his work done. And, and, and you don't want to turn that into a, you don't want to turn that into a social thing where we're trying to correct every social wrong in the world. That's not what that is. That's not what that is. That, what, what I'm talking about is meeting an individual's personal needs, personal spiritual needs in the moment. And sometimes that's just simply a matter of listening. I remember uh, distinctly the first time that I really felt like this happened to me. And uh, I was over at Gold's. And I go over there on my lunch break. I need to work out. 
and everybody's very happy that I go work out because when I come back, I'm happy, Scott. So I'm over there, and I only have an hour. I'm trying to work out really fast. And this young guy comes up and starts talking to me. And I'm listening. I'm, I'm a polite guy. I'm listening. But in about three or four minutes, I'm kind of like, okay, where's the ending to this story? You know, because I got a workout to do. I need to get going on this. And, and he keeps talking, keeps talking. And pretty soon I'm, I'm kind of getting irritated at this point. And um, so uh, I'm, I'm getting antsy. Um, and it's just like I heard God sit on my shoulder and speak into my ear. He said, don't you have 15 minutes for this guy? You're telling me you don't have 15 minutes? That guy needed somebody. And in that moment, that somebody was me. He's going to use you like that too. And then you're going to say, now I know what he's talking about. It happens all the time now. And now I know. You know, now I'm like, okay, not working out today. Today we're talking, you know, but when God uses you like that, he's reaching somebody that only you could reach, you know, when I'm over at Gold's, I can reach people that, that ladies you couldn't reach because I look like them you know I look like them and I talk like them I I don't put on any airs when I go anywhere I'm not like Pastor Scott in fact most of those people over there don't even know what I do I go wear a a ripped up t-shirt and old shorts and I don't have a t-shirt that says I love Jesus and I don't wear a cross There's nothing that would indicate to anybody that I'm a Christian, let alone a pastor. There's nothing. And yet, every week, several times a week, I talk to somebody. And sometimes we spend enough time together, you know, we kind of become friends, and uh, and eventually they figure out what I do. But you know what? People get weird when they know you're a pastor. People get really weird. All of a sudden, they're talking, they're talking weird. They're talking different, you know? And maybe they'll let a little thing, let a little thing drop now and then, and then, then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know? Like I've never heard it before. I don't know. So I really kind of prefer that people don't know what I do. I, th- I think we can talk better. Just talk man to man. But you know, you're not like I am. I'm not like you are. Some of you are young. You guys can reach people I can't reach. I'm an old guy now. I can reach old guys. Sometimes young guys come up to me because, uh, I don't know, maybe they think I've been around the block. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But God uses us in different ways. That's my point. And he needs you where he put you. You know, so if you're in a job... And you're like, man, I've had it with this job. Don't be in too big of a hurry to move. Wait until God makes an opening. You know, I did that one time. I quit something that God had given me to do, and I just had it up to here. And, and, and I was totally justified in feeling that way. And I was just like, man, I am walking away from this. And uh, I refer to the next year of my life as my Jonah year. I remember texting, sending a text to my wife. I said, I am in hell. I'm in the belly of the whale right now. I'm Jonah. God told me to go somewhere and do something. I didn't want to do it. And now now I'm in the belly of the whale. And you know what? It stinks in there. It stinks. It smells like rotten fish. 
is disgusting. And, and I put myself there. So don't do that. That's my warning. Wait until God, and you'll know, you'll know in your heart. You pray about it. You'll know in your heart, this is where God wants me to go. And a lot of times it will not even make any sense. It won't make any sense. You'll be like, this is not, I don't know anything about this job. I don't know anything about it. Why am I here? That was me when I started in the radio station. I'd been an English teacher. I'd been a pastor. I'd been a hospice chaplain. I didn't know anything about radio. Nothing. Zero. Nothing at all. But God's, God has taught me. God has used me. Um, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, maybe 35 new radio stations that I personally have worked on that are going to be built in the next couple of years. And, and I've worked on, I, I don't have any idea how many others trying to improve them. And some of them we've improved a lot. It's not by, it's not because of me. I don't know anything. But God does. God knows quite a bit. And, and God, if you're willing to let him, you know, and sometimes I'm better than other times. Sometimes it'll be like, wow, that really didn't work out, did it? And it's not because of God, it's because of me. But eventually, God is able to guide and direct you in whatever it is you're going, you want to do. And if you're young and you're looking for a career, you want to know where to go, first place you need to start is with the big man upstairs. Start with him up, upstairs. Ask for his wisdom. And he'll direct you. He'll guide you. Um, wow, I always go off on a complete rabbit trail. Um, I apologize for that. Um, sainthood. Sainthood, I talked about that. Um, so, sainthood means that you're set apart. You know, uh, God told Moses to um, set apart a laver and an altar and make saints of them. If you read that back in the Old Testament, you're like, what? Because saints are people, right? How is, how is Moses going to make saints out of these things? Well, it makes perfect sense when you realize that what sainthood is, is it means to be set apart. You know, God says, set them apart, set that apart. And he wants you to be set apart. That, that, means, that means that you are in this world, which is a huge mess right now. You know what? Sodom and Gomorrah didn't, doesn't have anything on us. Nothing, really. And, and Sodom and Gomorrah got struck by fire. I think we've surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I believe we have because we have computers these days. <laughs> you can do stuff so much faster than before. But you're set apart. That means you've got to get out of the world. That means there's some things that you don't do because you're a Christian. There's some things where, you know, you're with some friends and things are going in a direction and you feel that prompting from the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing here? And you need to be able to leave. You need to be able to get up and walk away. And, uh, you know, honestly, that's hard to do. You can only do that if you got God helping you do that. Because that's not something that you naturally want to do. What you're doing is fun. What you're doing fulfills a lot of things that you as a human being want to do. And it's hard to get up and walk away from that. But God's saying, you are set apart. You're sanctified. Don't do that. You know, and if you go ahead and do that, you're still a saint, but you're a dirty saint. You need to get cleaned up again before you go and do more work for, from God. He'll, he'll do that. You know, he'll do that. He'll, he'll, he'll clean you up. You ask forgiveness. You... You repent, you move forward, 
Um, but, but my point is we're, we're in this world and it's a nasty world and we need to somehow or other keep ourselves separated from that. That does not mean that we all become monks and move up on a hill somewhere and, uh, and garden for the rest of our life. That's not what that means because God needs us to influence people here in our community, people where you work or people where you go. There are people there who need God. They need somebody, and that's you. That's you, and God's going to use you, and God will give you what you need. You know, people, I used to um, go out and do some evangelism, and I'm not very good at memorization. I, I, I just am not good at it. Uh, but I would try to memorize these things, you know, these cards. And, uh, and then I would try to repeat those. I would try to recite them to people, you know. That doesn't work. Maybe it works for some people. Didn't work for me. You know what works for me? Is I pray before I go up there, God, tell me what to say to this person. I clean myself up first. God, is there anything I need to ask forgiveness for from you that I've done? Just take a few minutes. And then when you go and you talk to somebody, you know exactly what to say. And there's no memorization. You're depending on the Holy Spirit. And God knows exactly what they need to hear. And they're going to be like, how did you even know that? And you're going to say, I don't know. I didn't know that. Because what you said to them doesn't mean anything to you doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to them. So I'm going to take it in. My, my wife always laughs at me when I'm, I was talking about my wife. She, she hates that. But she, uh, she always says, have a hard time bringing it in for a landing, didn't you? So we're going to do a crash landing today. Sorry about that. Because we have communion and, uh, and we're getting up to that time. So... Um, what we're going to do is, is I'll pray beforehand and then uh, the guys, whoever the guys are that are serving communion, they can come up here. And uh, once everybody has the, the cup, then, then we can take it all together. Lord God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for its cleansing power. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you again. We dedicate ourselves to you. We ask you to use us. We ask for your forgiveness for whatever we have done. And Lord, I pray that you would bring it to people's heart, bring it to their mind, what it is that they need to ask forgiveness for and and that you would Give them the assurance then that that they've been forgiven and that they can face you without fear, that they can know that um, that they have your approval. Father, just pray um, that we just have a somber moment and um, appreciate the blood of Jesus. Try to understand what it means for us and uh, how we can honor and serve God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship, live on CSN. This is KAWZ Twin Falls, the Christian Satellite Network.
lovers all.